environmental, social, and governments reporting. Why is it important now? I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. My guest this week is Derek Young, Managing Director of ESG Consulting Services at Summit Strategy Group. Derek, welcome to Green Sense. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you work for Summit Strategy Group, a California-based communications and public affairs firm specializing in corporate reputation issues and crisis management. You're also a veteran corporate social responsibility, that's CSR, and sustainability communications professional with 20 years of experience. You have a deep understanding in energy and water efficiency, infrastructure development, nonprofit partnerships, charitable giving, and you've helped start several CSR programs. And that's why we have you on the show. So thanks so much for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to add about your company or your background? I'll just uh, uh, start off by saying, first of all, thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, Summit, uh, while we are a communications company, one of the things that we do that does differentiate us a little bit is we are both a communications and public affairs consultancy, as you mentioned, but also a strategic and tactical consultancy focused on ESG consulting services. And and my part of the business uh, is particularly focused on developing and leading uh, the client engagements that focus around ESG consulting. So that's um, that, that's one of the things that we developed. And, and other than that, um, let's jump in. I'm, I'm happy I'm happy to, uh, to participate and looking forward to the questions. Well, we have a lot to cover and we have such a mix of listeners. They span from environmental professionals to lay people, uh, to government, to academia. Uh, so let's start out with the basics. Those that may not be familiar with this, what is corporate social responsibility, CSR? And from now on, I'll just use CSR. And why is that important to our listeners? So over the course of the last 40, 50 years, if you can go all the way back to the, to the 1960s and early 1970s, you've seen a bit of an evolutionary use of language to refer to different types of actions that companies undertake to manage both environmental and social uh, challenges that, that they're facing. So the, the term CSR began as a term referencing specifically how companies were identifying and engaging on social issues of relevance to them. So those couldn't be anywhere from emergent social challenges. Just think of the past year, the the COVID pandemic, the George Floyd uh, uh, issues in 2020 in in, in Minneapolis, um, current issues like Roe v. Wade, and and what role the company wanted to take in establishing a particular point of view, and then uh, how that was, was managed. Um, but over time, CSR has actually become a broader, more umbrella platform that really looks at how a company addresses everything from its environmental commitments to its social engagements to the way it manages and looks after people. And it's, it's, it's sort of a, an umbrella term that subsumed all of that uh, effort that companies are deploying to, to both mitigate environmental impact and advance social engagement, um, both at the individual and at the community level. Thank you for that. And so let's go on to the next one, which we'll really cover through the most of the uh, interview, is what is environmental social governments ESG and why is it important and how does that differ from CSR? Yeah, it's a really important question. So ESG is a term uh, that's been around for a while. It's, it's really born out of the investor um, and, and investment community. What makes ESG a little bit different is that Whereas 
CSR or, or sustainability are, are very specific to particular types of action, reducing your environmental footprint, and, you know, improving your social standing. ESG, first and foremost, is a risk me- measurement. It is, it is intended to evaluate and assess the inherent investment risk that an investor has to assess when, when determining whether to make an investment as it relates to environmental or social issues. So think about it in the sense of if, if company X is, uh, is being looked at by an investor and they are in the agricultural space and they rely heavily on uh, a raw material or, 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 or an ingredient that is in an area that is being devastated by climatic conditions and changes, that makes them a higher risk. And therefore, there's a, it, would, it would be notated and referenced in how they evaluate or assess the, the ESG performance of that company. What it's become is the umbrella term, however, that really looks at how companies address everything from sustainability to CSR to internal governance and management policies and positions. It's, it's kind of become the catch-all phrase for both that initial risk analysis and then also the substantive strategies that companies are deploying to improve their performance in those areas as well. So it's now the, the kind of the gateway into all things that are being done by companies in all of those categories because it's it's become so relevant in the in the market. So recently I've just seen so much interest in ESG. Has something changed to make it more important? What why, why so much uh, interest in it? So the last three or four years, you've seen some very significant changes that have elevated its importance considerably. The, the, the first is that some of the largest institutional investors in the world, so companies like BlackRock, uh, which is the largest institutional investor, uh, $10 trillion in assets under management, uh, companies like- 10 State trillion, State, not billion, trillion. With a T, with a T. <laughs> I got to take my shoes shoes off to count that high. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's a pretty insane number when you think about it, but- um, so BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, some of these big investors have begun to elevate the importance that they've placed on ESG in particular. And BlackRock, uh, whose CEO is, is a gentleman named Larry Fink, has really led that charge and made it very clear that they were going to begin making decisions about how they make investments based on ESG performance. Well, you got to be a good guy with a name like Fink. Yes, it, it does help. Um, and so in, in 2020, he, he came out, for example, and said that all of the companies that BlackRock invests in will need to be reporting annually on ESG performance, utilizing um, two very now well-known reporting frameworks. One is the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, which is called SASB, and the other was the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, or TCFD. So that was the first big pivotal move was the investors started to pay more attention to this and, to, and, and started to inform the companies that they were working with and invested in that they had to elevate their, their, their visibility and um, make ESG more relevant to, uh, to the businesses themselves. Then you had kind of this cascading implication that said, okay, well, if I have to pay attention to this, then all my suppliers need to tell me what they're doing because I need to be able to understand my complete impact. And so you started to see companies engage their supply chains, both upstream and downstream. So up and down the supply chain, you know, in order to to better understand the the totality of their impact and and how that um, could then be reported. Uh, 
And at the same time that was happening, consumers were starting to pay more attention to what companies were doing. And with social media becoming more and more relevant, transparency becoming more and more critical, you started to see this kind of perfect storm blend together. You had investors saying that this was important. You had customers and consumers elevating their their, their interest in more transparent and visible um, disclosure. And you had businesses saying, okay, well, now we have to build these platforms and really draw a, you know greater attention to how we're um, focusing on these issues. And to kind of cap it all off, just to put the, the period at the end of the sentence, you had the, the explosion of interest and, and really the, the heightened emergence around uh, climate and the urgency that, that was being reflected by uh, inter-global governmental bodies around the need to reduce our, our, our global emissions. And so all of these things kind of mixed up in the salad bowl, and it just pushed ESG from something that was known to a few to something that became you know, known to all. And it's, it's really elevated its stature as a, as a result of that. And just in the last six months, the government of the, of the United States has really taken a much more prescient, uh, literally the last year and a half, but in the last few months in particular, um, it's paying much more attention to this as well. So the Securities and Exchange Commission has now released a, a rulemaking that is being uh, comment is in comment right now that if approved would require all public companies to disclose performance on ESG and on climate. And that mirrors what we've seen in the UK and in, in India and in Canada and Brazil. So you have, again, all these competing, but, but sort of overlapping concerns and interests that have really drawn uh, a great deal of attention to ESG. And because they come from such high level stakeholders ESG comes from the top down. It really comes in through the C-suite. And so the CEO, the board of directors are paying a lot of attention to this right out of the gates and driving change through their businesses much faster than we've seen in other variations of this in the past. Well, that's a great explanation on a very complex topic. And uh, my understanding is ESG reporting has been voluntary to date. Now you're saying that the SEC, even though they're not a regulatory body uh, per se, they're not a government organization, uh, they're self-policing, is this uh, have teeth that forces these publicly traded companies to now have ESG uh, reporting or do they just have to, is it, is it a best practice? So that's a really interesting question to which we don't have a clear answer yet. So the, the way the rule that the SEC has advanced has been presented would indicate that they intend to require um, ESG reporting and particularly climate risk disclosure because it has become, to their way of thinking, a relevant and important part of the investment decision and needs to be regulated to create consistency and a level playing field for businesses uh, in the space and so that investors have common criteria with which to make decisions. How that gets enforced is a bit of an interesting dilemma and, and one that is still being, I think, um, debated as the rule has actually gone through the comment period. And we don't really know for sure, but we have seen the SEC increase its enforcement mechanisms around uh, uh, various types of ESG disclosure just of late. So they are flexing their muscle a little bit and saying that this is going to become a, a big part of their uh, agenda for um, oversight going forward. Um, and what's interesting is that at the same time that that's happening, 
you have private equity and privately held companies that are not publicly traded increasing their focus on ESG at the same time, because they see it as a risk mitigation opportunity. They see the ESG funds in the market perform outperforming standard funds, and they want the same return on investment. And a lot of the companies they invest in have consumers or, or customers that are pushing for ESG disclosure. So what used to be a very publicly traded platform is now a more universal interest that's engaging both public and private business. And at the kind of tip of the spear is the, is the SEC trying, trying to push this all forward uh, in order to meet investor demand. Are you seeing small businesses and nonprofit also uh, taking these best practices and, and including those in their business practice? Small business and startups are starting to pay more attention to it. We have been, you know, we, we've worked with at Summit um, several companies that are, are you know, um, not, you know, that are quite small, to be honest, and, and are on the, in, in the process of going through either uh, becoming public or, or are privately held, but are trying to, you know, but are in a, an industry where this is a really relevant and important concern and they have customers for whom ESG performance is critical. So it is something that's become more and more relevant to, I think, companies of all size. Um, the nonprofit community, I haven't seen it quite as much in the NGO community. I think there are aspects of it that are relevant to NGOs. I think you see, for example, nonprofits playing bigger roles in, uh, in, in the climate conversation and, and there's overlap between how they're exploring climate and the way companies are looking at ESG and, and the integration of climate into the E in ESG. So for example, um, the Nature Conservancy has done a lot of work on natural climate solutions, which are a tool to produce carbon offsets, which is something you can buy to reduce your carbon emissions. And that's become a big part of the discussion around how to get to net zero emissions. And so as companies set these targets to meet investor expectations, they look to the nonprofit community at times to help them with, you know, the, the specifics of how they get there. Uh, as much as they also look to the nonprofit community to be conscious of potential um, pushback if they're not doing the right thing. So there's a little bit of both sides of that unfolding. This sounds pretty complex and it sounds like it's a regulatory environment that's changing. So what can an organization do internally and where do they need external help or consultants to help them in their ESG reporting? The, the, the most important things that I would say a company can do right now to ensure that they're on the right path is to first and foremost, do what we call a materiality analysis. Uh, a materiality analysis is a, an assessment of what are the most important issues that are going to be of greatest relevance to your business and to your stakeholders. And that allows you to step back and then make determinations of, about you know, where you want to go and what you need to focus on. We also tell our clients all the time, it's really important to know what success looks like for your business. Do you want to be the leader in your industry? Do you just want to be a fast follower? Do you just want to not get into trouble? Like, what is the, what is the intention that you're trying to accomplish? Because that should dictate some of your activity as well. Um, and then it, it's, it's really important to make sure you have an individual or group of individuals who are firmly tasked with the development and management of this work inside the company. In terms of bringing in outside support, you know, I mean, I think 
if you are looking to sort of really build a strategy, you know, things like materiality and reporting are places where external consultants can be very helpful. Um, I think consultants can also help a lot with the process of facilitating the, the development of that strategy so that there is a, a, another party to bounce ideas off of and subject matter expertise to help guide that process. Um, but I think those are, those are some really big critical first steps. Know what your material issues are. Make sure you understand what success looks like. Make sure you have some staff inside that, that can manage the issues for you. And then think about how you're going to communicate your work uh, externally. Let's go back to BlackRock for a second. 10 trillion under management. What's material to BlackRock? I don't know if I can do the math at 1%. You know, what is that? A hundred billion? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's enormous. And let's put that in perspective again. The U.S. annual budget's around 4 trillion. You know, yeah. so that's twice, almost tw- more than twice uh, what BlackRock's got under management. So the good news is when a company of that size makes a change in this direction, the trickle-down effect is tremendous through all its suppliers, all its investments. But now let's play devil's advocate. You know, companies of that size don't always do the right thing. And there's a lot of critics out there that look at CSR or ESG as corporate greenwashing. So let's take a little walk through history. Uh, There's many large companies and they have many divisions. Uh, some are more sustainable than others. So if we look in, uh, let's look at Chevron. You know, Chevron's got an environmental division that's set up to clean up uh, you know, uh, environmental issues and be in compliance, but then they've got a drilling division that impacts the environment. So when a corporation has an environmental crisis, it can hurt the reputation, impact customer loyalty, impact the share price, and ultimately decrease profitability. So we've had a number of historic environmental cover-ups like Union Carboid, that's an old one, in Bhopal. They killed lots of people in India from a release of their gas. The company went out of business. Love Canal, historic mm-hmm. here in the U.S., Hooker Chemical, later bought by Occidental Petroleum. That one's complex. We've had a number of people on the show on that one. But, uh, you know, uh, Oxy took quite a hit on that one. Three Mile Island, the nuclear release. Your hometown, PG&E, the hexavalent chromium release. Aaron Brockovich was the movie they made out of that. And that creates a lot of distrust between corporations, government, and the public. And some more recent examples include BP, the Gulf oil spill. They had to pay billions out in restitution. And that almost caused BP North America to shut down and go out of business. ExxonMobil very recently failed to reveal the full extent of their business impact on the climate. They, they hit a lot of facts. They knew about how their business was impacting climate change. And that caused their share price to tumble, and it hurt their reputation. Walmart has had accusations of greenwashing and their sustainability statistics, turning off investors and customers. All these companies have CSR programs. They produce ESMG reports. When an environmental crisis hits, the spin doctors quickly take control of the narrative and shape public opinion to control losses. So in your opinion, how should corporations handle environmental releases and communications with the public when it comes to this reporting? And how do they improve that uh, relationship between government, corporations, and the public? 
Yeah, this is a really. I only have one second to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a really important issue, and I'm and I and I think it it, it 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 I want to be really really focused in the way I answer it. So there's a couple of things. So first of all, a lot of those examples uh, are historic examples that are based on um, actions and 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 then cover-ups, as you said, that companies have deployed, and we have seen some quite a bit of maturity, I think, in the way that businesses look at sustainability, you know, in the in the period in, of intervening years between things like Love Canal and Bhopal. Um, although we and and so that it is happening with far less frequency and much less lesser severity in the in terms of those big massive engagements. Having said that, one of the benefits of the reporting process is that it's it's increasingly been built around specific frameworks that are leveraged or used to help guide the way information is communicated to reduce the risk of communicating something that is inaccurate or incomplete or even um, outright uh, um, false. And so you started with what's called the Global Reporting Initiative, which was really one of the first big frameworks that was deployed for the purposes of guiding what was then sustainability reporting and is now ESG reporting Um, and GRI is still to this day, the most commonly utilized framework for that type of disclosure. I mentioned earlier, you have newer frameworks that have emerged like SASB and TCFD that also add additional guardrails for how that information is communicated. Um, You have, you now have organizations like the international sustainability standards board or ISSB in Europe, which is, working with what's uh, organizations like the Values Reporting Initiative and GRI to come up with much more uniform frameworks for this kind of reporting. And all of this is intended to produce more structured and, and controlled approaches to delivering information to the public. So that's one way that we can certainly reduce the risk of, of greenwashing. Another is what we call assurance. And one of the things that's starting to emerge, and if you look at the the big four, for example, accounting firms, so companies like Ernst & Young and Deloitte, uh, um, PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, BDO, some of these bigger firms, they're all increasingly being pulled in and developing very large programs intended to validate data for companies when they report against their performance. So PwC, for example, I think it was last year, came out and said that they were allocating $12 billion to grow their ESG department with a heavy focus on assurance. You're starting to see more and more bigger, you know, bigger companies in particular, but more and more companies in general turn to accounting firms to say, okay, I need to put this data out and I want you to put your stamp on it to say that it is accurate and that you validated and assured that it is correct. That's another layer of, of value. And that SEC rule we mentioned earlier also includes a requirement for what's called attestation or assurance for companies who are what they call accelerated, large accelerated filers So bigger companies are going to be required to go through this assurance process for their disclosures. So all of this is intended to produce a more uniform methodology for reporting and create means to reduce risk of inadvertently or outrightly communicating something that is inaccurate. The final thing is, is I would say, bring in an expert to help with the report. You know, and and when we say an expert, it's not just somebody who's a public affairs expert, but somebody who's an actual ESG consultant who does reporting. If you want to bring a little bit of control here, because there is 
you know, an art to a report, but there's also a science to it. And you need to make sure that you're utilizing the right terms that you have people who understand how to help you with that data validation um, and to provide guidance to say, you know, like that's probably not something that you should say that way. Let's, let's say it this way so that you ensure that you're saying it properly. Um, and to make sure that these, these documents carry weight when they're released and they're not just seen as marketing documents that are, are easily dismissed. They should be valuable in the same way that a 10K or a financial reporting document is because they come with those controls baked in. Well, I appreciate your candidness to that answer. And that was a tough question. Um, We've been broadcasting on sustainability uh, over 12 years. And I agree with you. In general, we've seen corporations getting better and being much more sustainable and and honest. Um, You know, talking about uh, the point you just made, uh, there's a little law called Sarbanes-Oxley that puts uh, CEOs in jail when they lie. (laughs) So being in the environmental field my whole career, I've come to appreciate both the carrot and stick approach. You need the heavy-handed laws like the Sarbanes-Oxley where there's real teeth in it. And it forces, you know, the top management to be honest and forthright. But you also need incentives out there. So as an expert, what do you see that needs to change to really accelerate this, to make uh, companies more transparent and cl- clearer in their ASG reporting? I, I think there's a couple things. Um, you know, one thing that I think is really important right now that we're seeing a lot of, of dialogue uh, unfold around is the ESG rating or uh, platforms, right? So there's about 600 different organizations that rate or, or score ESG performance for companies globally, and probably about 25 of them that are hyper-relevant, particularly in the U.S. Um, And those rating systems are, there's no common framework to create consistency between how scores are are, are issued. And so companies right now are are very aware of and and often in a position where they have to chase after the, you know, the, the best possible scores with these raters who are really, again, looking at risk and not performance. And so one of the things that I think we could see change that would make a substantive difference is to create a more consistent and and uniform approach to how you are assessing and scoring the the ESG performance of businesses in the market, public or private, so that there's clarity around the fact that, okay, I'm not just being looked at from a risk perspective. First of all, I'm also being looked at from a performance perspective. And secondly, it's, it's the same approach, whether it's, you know, regardless of, of the company or the, the rater so that the public can utilize that information as well. Cause right now it's really geared towards investors. Um, so do you think one day we're going to see uh, the stock market has PEs price to earning ratios? Will we see a ESG to earnings ratio? I think absolutely. I, I think if you look at the, the growth in the in, in sustainable investing and ESG investing in the last couple of years, and not only the growth, but the, 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 the success of those funds, you know, I, I have no doubt that that will continue to grow and, and evolve. I, I think, uh, and I, I don't know if the number is correct, but I recall earlier in the year reading something that, so I think a third of all uh, investments globally right now are in ESG related investing or, or, or ESG related funds. And it's, it's somewhere in the vicinity of 30 to $35 trillion right now annually. So you're seeing this tremendous swing in, in favor of putting money into these funds. And 
as that happens, the other thing you're starting to see is more awareness around the difference between uh, an ESG fund that focuses on reduced risk and a sustainable investment fund that focuses on a particular outcome. So, you know, a sustainable investment fund might be one that says it's divested from all fossil fuels in order to put money into renewables, whereas an ESG fund might be one that just says, look, these are the companies that have the lowest possible environmental or social risks, and therefore they qualify as an ESG investment. So more knowledge, more education, better scoring methodologies, um, greater clarity in how we define these terms. These are all going to be ways to help, you know, you know, advance these, these initiatives for companies and for the stakeholders that they're trying to communicate with. Well, after uh, spending 30 years working in the environmental field, I have always learned to lead your discussion with finance and end it on the environment. Everybody understands money. And uh, so I'm happy that they're taking this approach. It's a great way to shape behavior. I just hope we can keep everybody honest and, and build that trust between government, corporations, and the private sector. Derek, we could talk all day. I really appreciate your time. Uh, you were very uh, insightful. Uh, really, thank you for joining us on GreenSense. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and all the best to you and your listeners. That's Derek Young, Managing Director, ESG Consulting Services at Summit Strategy Group in Sacramento, California, sharing his thoughts on the importance of environmental, social, and governance reporting. GreenSense is an independent radio show that relies on the generous financial support of patrons like you so we could produce high-quality audio broadcasts that promote innovators with practical, sustainable solutions. If you're interested in being a patron, call me at 312-493-1470 or visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to complete the patron form. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense and catch the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780 AM and 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago. 